All right, how's everybody doing? Good. Small crew today. That's fine. You good? For us, though. Lord, thank you that we can all be here, and that John can teach us our lesson, help us take a lot from it, and use it throughout our lives. Amen. Amen. All right. <clears throat> what did we just finish? Outrageous couples. Who'd you talk about? There's four couples. Lot and Sophie. Yeah. <clears throat> Lot and his wife. Samson and Delilah, Rebecca and yeah, and uh, yep. Well, not last week, but it was the one I taught you, so it's really a test. Oh, it was. It was Abel and Nabel. Yep, uh, and his wife's name was. No. Abigail. Abigail, very good. All right, so we are done with outrageous couples, but we don't have Sunday school next week, so I don't want to start something new just yet, especially because we're going to get some new people moving up the week after. So I'm going to give you a one off lesson today. Um, this is the stuff I like. So bear with me. We're doing Bible history. Specifically, prophets. Turn to the table of contents in your Bible. We're going in uh, Old Testament order, not alphabetical. So, how are the books of the Bible organized? Specifically the Old Testament. Incorrect. What? Very incorrect, in fact. Aren't the first five the Pentateuch? Yes, very good. So the first five of the Pentateuch. Uh, what are the first five? Who wrote them? Moses. Alright. And they're called the Pentateuch. Um, we consider these the Mosaic Law. And it's not Mosaic like the art form. It's Mosaic like Moses wrote them. What's next? <laughs> Ezra and... Okay, that's the next section. Those 12 books. They all fall into one category. Nope, we just did law. 
Then we have uh, these books, so Joshua through Nehemiah, actually, and Esther, my bad. Joshua through Esther are Jewish history. So what happens in Joshua? <clears throat> Joshua did fight the Battle of Jericho. So at the end of Exodus, they're leaving where? Egypt, okay. And then what do they do right after that? They go waltz right into the Promised Land. No, they don't. 40 years of what? Wandering. Wandering, okay. So Joshua picks up at the end of that 40 years of wandering, okay. Then we go into Judges. What happens in Judges? Okay. So there's this thing called the cycle of the Judges. What are the, what are the parts of the cycle of the Judges? So far, you're good. And it just repeats and repeats and repeats, yes. So it, it basically takes like two or three generations each time after the judge is gone for people to fall away from God. And then he punishes them by sending an invading army. So Gideon is a good example. Samson is a judge. Hmm? I believe so. Well, actually, the last judge is Samuel. Okay. Uh, but there's also Ruth stuck in there. You guys know the story of Ruth pretty well? Yeah. Alright. What's the if you had to condense it into a sentence, what's the story of Ruth? Ruth is a caretaker Okay, so Ruth uh, was married, her husband died, and she's redeemed by Boaz. Okay, that's the, the word, redeemed. Okay, so it's a picture of Christ. We talked a lot about that not too long ago. Then we get into First and Second Samuel. Who's Samuel? The last judge. This guy did a lot of stuff. Okay. Uh, Samuel, say again? It does. Very good. So First Samuel is Samuel's life early life and king who? King Saul. Okay. And then 2 Samuel is the life of David. Okay. First and 2 Samuel used to be one book and they end when David passes on the role of kingship to Solomon, his son. Okay, and First and Second Kings picks up right after that. It's meant to be a continuous story. All right, uh, Solomon. When we're talking First and Second Kings, he started out really, really well. 
he grew the kingdom and he built the temple. Remember why David wasn't allowed to build the temple? He wanted to. It was his dream. What did he do wrong? Uh, it does involve him killing somebody specifically. Uriah? The Hittite? And because he committed adultery with Bathsheba. All right? And that actually resulted in his relationship with Bathsheba, that first child uh, God did not allow to live as punishment. And then also uh, Solomon is a son of Bathsheba. Anyhow, that is why David was not allowed to build the temple. <clears throat> so Solomon gets that ability, that uh, chance. So he's also this really wise guy. He's the wisest guy ever to live other than Jesus. Uh, but he also kind of messes up too. He's got, by the time his reign is going strong, he has a thousand wives or something like that. And uh, this causes his personality to be a little split. Uh, he, you know, he has all of this zeal for God, but also he's, he's got all of these wives who worship pagan gods and kind of pull on him. So much like Solomon's spirit was split, when he passes on the kingdom, the kingdom of Israel splits. How does it split? We draw. This is the Med Sea. Mediterranean Sea. What, which is this one? Dead Sea, there's the Jordan River, up to the Sea of Galilee, and uh, Jerusalem's like here, and it splits into two kingdoms. This kingdom down here is called Judah. Twelve tribes are still going on. So basically, uh, the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Levi, some of the tribe of Benjamin, are stuck here. And then everybody else, so this is the kingdom of the ten tribes, is Israel. So there's like, does this kind of thing. This is the Israel or the northern kingdom. The second half of the book of 1 Kings, along with the book of 2 Kings, traces the leadership of these two kingdoms. Uh, Judah has some good kings. Uh, a good example of that is Josiah. But Israel has zero good kings. They basically have 19 rulers, and then they fall under uh, captivity, and it's just a terrible place in terms of their uh, loyalty to God. <clears throat> so 2 Kings ends with both kingdoms in, in capti captivity. Uh, the kingdom of Israel is conquered by Assyria and uh, who's Judah captured by? <clears throat> uh, I think King Nebuchadnezzar. Where's he from? 
Come on, Bible scholars. Good stuff to know. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon at the time, okay? So that's first and second kings, and I spend more time there because it's going to be important. For, uh, do we know what happens in first and second chronicles? This is part of the reason it's so confusing. Uh, what's happening in what book here? But first and second chronicles covers the same chunk of Jewish history as second Samuel, so it covers the life of David, and first and second kings. It goes over it again. Why do you think that we need to hear the same thing twice? Yeah, yeah. So, 2 Samuel into 1 and 2 Kings is, we'll call it the political history. Okay? But... First and Second Chronicles tells the same story from a different perspective. It is God's history. Okay? So we get the same story from two different points of view, and we can learn a lot from that. However, there's a lot of things left out. Uh, in First and Second Chronicles, especially about this northern kingdom. Okay? Why do you think? Correct. God wasn't there. Alright. Um, so, after kings, as I said, both kingdoms are in captivity. How long does the Babylonian captivity last? You're either going to be right or wrong. I'm going to say 40 because there's a lot of other stories. 70. 70 years, okay? Uh, How does it end? So the, the king of Persia essentially says, Jews, go home. You don't have to be here anymore. Uh, so, that is the next kind of chunk of history. We get uh, the return to Jerusalem. And Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther all take place during the rebuild of Jerusalem. During this rebuild, there are three different trips from Babylon to Jerusalem. The first is led by a guy named Zerubbabel. You ever heard of him? His job is to rebuild the temple. The second trip is led by Ezra. All right, He's, He gets the name of the book for some reason. Uh, he works to rebuild the spiritual condition of the people in Jerusalem. Because they're pretty sad. Uh, when King Nebuchadnezzar took over Jerusalem, he laid waste to it. There wasn't even a rock of the wall left. It was all just dust. All right? Burned it to the ground. In between these first and second trips is about 60 years. 
and that is where Esther takes place, right? Esther is queen of Persia in between these first and second trips. And then the third trip is in the book of Nehemiah, where he leads another return to Jerusalem and they rebuild the wall. So that is Nehemiah. The next section of books is what? Job to Song of Solomon. What do we call those? You know? Okay. We call them poetry. Chronologically, where does Job take place? What is its contemporary? We talked about this too. Job takes place sometime after the flood, but soon after. So it's a contemporary with Genesis, right? So that's why we can't call this chronological at all. Granted, the history books are generally chronological, but uh, Job is stuck in here in this section because it is written in poetry. It's written in verse. And then you get uh, Psalms, which is obviously poetry because it's songs. Uh, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, these are all, and Proverbs, those are all wisdom books and they're written in a similar style, okay? That's why they all get grouped together. What are the books after our wisdom poetry section? What's left? Um, who's ever heard of Isaiah? Raise your hand. Maybe. Uh, Jeremiah. No. Um, how about Ezekiel? Ezekiel and Daniel. You guys have probably heard more about those. So those, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel are all called the major prophets. And then the remaining ones, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi are the minor prophets. Are the major prophets more important than the minor prophets? Why do we call them major and minor? We're definitely not chronological yet. <laughs> Essentially, uh, the major prophets just had bigger mouths. They had more to say. Uh, they have longer books, and then they just put the shorter books at the end. That's really the only difference. They both have equally important and equally inspired by God. Uh, so it's really just a length thing. 
Lamentations is also written by Jeremiah. Yep, the same author. There is a historical break. So uh, we'll talk about it, but Jeremiah is up until King Nebuchadnezzar comes. And then Lamentations is him weeping for the fate of Israel after Jerusalem is destroyed. So that's the break. All right. Take one past down. I'm going to keep one. I didn't write that all down for you. This, is, this was what I was trying to get to, but we needed a context. I'm sorry it was 20 minutes worth of context. <laughs> all right. But instead of writing this all out on the board, you've got it in front of you. So if we were to reorganize the prophets in terms of time, this is what it would look like. Everybody got one? Everybody know who Jonah is? VeggieTales did a good job. Um, So Jonah is chronologically the first, but what's a little weird is that he was a prophet to Nineveh. You know where Nineveh is? We take our little map. It's like over here. All right, it's it's not in Israel or Judea. Um, But what is significant is it is the, I'm looking here, looking for my notes. It's the capital of the Assyrian Empire, I believe, which is who took over the Northern Kingdom. Right? So that's why it's important. That's why he gets sent there, because they're going to be the instrument of the Northern uh, Kingdom's destru- destruction. Joel is a little harder to place in time. There's lots of discrepancy, but this is where we think he is. Uh, <clears throat> So he is also a prophet from the northern kingdom. He cites a plague as punishment from God to persuade the northern kingdom to repent and return to God. So essentially what we try and do as we go and place these is in these prophet books, they talk about the kings. So that's why you have this column of kings and events. So that's kind of how we're able to place them in time. Amos uh, is the next northern kingdom prophet, and he was a farmer, and he warned Israel about the corruption of sin. Hosea is the next northern kingdom prophet in time. Uh, He was asked by God to marry a harlot and care for her. Uh, This was an image for the unfaithfulness of Israel. So Israel is the harlot, and that was his message. Uh, And Hosea was a picture of God's unwavering love despite all of our sins. Isaiah is the next northern kingdom prophet, and uh, he is chronologically our first major prophet. He has a lot to say. He's the silver-tongued prophet. He uh, preaches a message of judgment and condemnation on the northern kingdom and the whole world at the time. But then this is followed up with a message of hope and salvation. And what's kind of cool is like the number of chapters in Isaiah line up with the number of books in the Bible in the Old and New Testament. And his switch from condemnation to salvation is where 
the Old Testament and the New Testament begin. It's kind of cool that it lines up. Micah is our last northern kingdom prophet, and he prophesies the just judgment coming to Israel and to us all. And that judgment in his time is in reference to the captivity that they're all going to be subject to, uh, but it is also a picture of our judgment at the end of time. So when I say that these are prophets of Israel, prophets of the northern kingdom, that means that's where they're from. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's where they preached. They could have traveled to one kingdom or the other, and uh, or served both of the kingdoms at that time. Now we're into the southern kingdom prophets. First one is Nahum. So Nahum is our first southern kingdom prophet. He was also sent to Nineveh. Kind of like uh, <clears throat> Jonah chapter 2. He was sent to Nineveh about a hundred years after Jonah, and he will give them the same message. But this time, they don't return to God. They don't repent. And they are completely leveled by the Babylonians when they come through. Zephaniah is our next southern kingdom prophet. He preaches in the time of King Josiah. We all know a Josiah. He's a pretty cool dude. The one in ancient Israel was also very cool. He was a a great reforming king. And uh, Zephaniah's preaching was part of that. It was part of the repentance and revival in the southern kingdom at the time. Habakkuk is our next southern kingdom prophet. Uh, And the people at this time period basically ignore his calls to repentance. God tells Habakkuk uh, directly, this is the first direct uh, reference, that Babylon will be the punishment that is coming. They will destroy the kingdom of Israel. So then, after Habakkuk, we get Jeremiah. Jeremiah is our last southern kingdom prophet, and he is our major prophet of that kingdom. As we said before, he writes both the books of Jeremiah and the book of Lamentations. The book of Jeremiah is a 40-year call to repentance for the kingdom of Judah, and that leads up to the destruction of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar. Lamentations is his sorrow, his lament over the destruction of the city, but it also has his hope for the rebirth. Uh, God tells him, you know, we're going to come back. We're going to rebuild. So now there are a bunch of contemporaries of Jeremiah that are active during the Babylonian captivity. The major one is Daniel. All right? He's chronologically first. He's one of the first groups of Israelites that are taken back to Babylon. And uh, he's actually put in a leadership position because that's how Nebuchadnezzar ran his country. It's like, I'm going to come in, I'm going to decimate your country, but I'm going to take your best and brightest leaders and bring them back and help them run my country. So Daniel is one of those. <clears throat> and uh, you know, there's also Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That stuff is in there. Uh, and so he tells us a lot about what goes on in Babylon, including a healthy portion of end times prophecy. Like between Daniel and the book of Revelation, that's how we know almost everything about the end times. The next one is Ezekiel. He is also a captive in Babylon. He's taken from Jerusalem and and sent to Babylon, but he's a little later, okay? And he's not in charge like Daniel is. So he's more in direct contact with the Israelites in Babylon, and his prophecies are about the return to Jerusalem 
and the redemption and rebirth that God brings. Kind of stuck in the middle of this captivity timeline is Obadiah. He is actually from the northern kingdom and is sent to prophesy against Edom. Any guesses on what Edom is? Geographically, it's down here. You guys ever heard of a guy named Esau? All right, so all of Esau's descendants come here to Edom, and that's where they live. Uh, So this is kind of like how Jonah and Nahum prophesy against Nineveh. Uh, Edom uh, is south of the southern kingdom and belongs to the descendants of Esau. So Obadiah is sent here and God passes judgment on Esau and his descendants through Obadiah at this time period. Three left. These are the prophets of the return to Jerusalem, right? So the first of these chronologically is Haggai or Haggai. Haggai is active during the rebuild of the temple. So he comes back with that first group and he calls the people to put God's business first. Because people are like, let's build a wall or let's rebuild our homes. And he says, no, you're here to do God's business. Let's rebuild the temple first. Zechariah is active during the same time period as Haggai. However, instead of rebuking the people, uh, Zechariah prophesies about the future importance of the temple. He says, the Messiah is going to walk on these walls. Like this is, this is the temple that Jesus will walk in, and he uses that to encourage the people. And lastly, we have Malachi. <clears throat> Malachi is a contemporary of Nehemiah. Uh, so when he's active, the temple is complete, and the people are rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. He warns that the Israelites should not take their position with God for granted. You know, they're God's chosen people, and they were kind of strutting around and saying, you know, we're better than everybody else because of it. He foretells the coming of John the Baptist. And after Malachi, God falls silent for almost 400 years. Notice how the last date is 397 B.C., before Christ. So 400 years, we don't hear anything from God. And that's because, you know, essentially Malachi said God's words no longer have an effect on his people. They, they won't listen anymore, so he's done talking. That's Malachi's me- message. So I hope you learned something. I hope this lesson cleared up a little bit about the Bible timeline. Uh, you know, it's always something for me, like there's, where do I go to learn about David? Well, there's actually like, three or four books you could go to, depending on the perspective you're after. Or, you know, I'm learning about Jonah, what happens after? We can go to chapter two and and learn what happens in Nineveh afterward. So I'm hoping that this kind of history lesson, along with where we're placing each of these books of the Bible, helps you in your own personal study and know where you can find some information if you're looking for something specific. Are there any questions? All right. Thanks, guys.